Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. Yes, that is so right, that we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yes, nice. We don't have any housekeeping to do. No, no, no. No, no. Yeah, cleaning up all these empty cans of beans yeah we got a lot of empty cans of beans producer doug hasn't provided us any sticky notes though i did see him grumbling and shaking his fist at me when i was walking down the hallway earlier but uh, he just does that sometimes so i don't know if it was in response to something he had a big cigar in his mouth and he was like i try to avoid him when he does that yeah yeah i don't know if it's a power move or if he wants me to do something but in any case producer doug i'm sorry for whatever i did (laughs) Anyway, it's episode 185. Is it? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, this is episode 185. Wow. 25 more episodes to the big 200. Oh no, 15 more episodes until... (laughs) It's alright. You can't do that. It's it's not like I work in a math job or anything. No, but I I like when we hit milestones like this. Like nice even milestones, like fives and zeros. It just feels a bit more satisfying than me being like, hey, we're at episode 183. Because it's like, no one cares. Remember when we wanted to bring guests on every 10 episodes? Thank God we gave that that up. But uh, yeah, it's like when I turned 23, I remember being like, I don't care about this age. (laughs) But when I turned 25, I was like, I care a little bit more about this. It's a little more interesting. Yeah, you could rent a car now. I rented a car when I was under the age of 25. Well, you know, it's weird is you can rent a U-Haul at the age of 18. You can rent a U-Haul at any age. (laughs) Do you just have to be licensed? Yeah, essentially, you just have to find someone who doesn't care. Like me. Well, what's great is there was a story I was reading about how someone traveled like across the country by just renting U-Hauls because they were under the age of 25 and they couldn't rent cars. That's silly. It was silly, but they did it. But you could rent a car if you get into a car accident and your insurance company provides you a rental car. But you can't like, yeah, you can't go to like Enterprise and just rent a car. Yeah, that's weird. Because I was definitely under the age of 25 when I had a car rental for like two weeks, but... I also uh, drove my car into somebody, so... Rules are stupid. Anyway, uh, Seth, what have you been recently playing? Recently, I've been playing a game called Stasis colon Bone Totem. I think you would actually read it Stasis Bone Totem, but I'm putting the colon there because that's where the colon lives. It was released all the way back on May 31st of 2023. It is a uh, isometric point-and-click adventure game created by The Brotherhood, which has created other games such as Stasis. They also created... Kane, which was C-A-Y-N-E, which is like a free DLC that they put on Stasis. And they also created a game called Beautiful Desolation, which is not a horror game, which Stasis Bone Totem and Stasis R, but is another point-and-click adventure game. But Beautiful Desolations set in the post-apocalyptic world. Stasis and Stasis Bone Totem take place in a sci-fi world. It's kind of a generic sci-fi world. Generally, it's dark. There's metal. 
and there's blood. But Beautiful Desolation takes place in like a, a world that's been overtaken by jungles. I love Stasis. I couldn't get into Beautiful Desolation, and maybe I'll try again, but Stasis is my jam. When the first game came out, I just played that game nonstop. It's great. Kane was also great. And now playing Bone Totem. Bone Totem's so far coming out to be great as well. The cool thing about Bone Totem is that they introduced being able to play as three different characters, which is fun. You play as a salvage couple, this guy named Mac and this lady named Charlie, and they have their own abilities. Uh, Charlie fixes things, and guess what Mac does? Breaks things? He does, yeah. yeah. Mac Mac uses his, his mitts to break things, and Charlie fixes them. Uh, occasionally, Mac needs to break something so that Charlie can fix it. And uh, then there's a third party member that you get eventually, uh, whose name is Moses, and he is a teddy bear, a smart teddy bear, who is, is kind of like a robot. And it, it's a it's a pretty great point-and-click adventure game because they're constantly talking to each other and explaining this extremely scary place. And what I really like, and they did this in Stasis, is you can die and it's a game over, but then it just loads up to where you were previously. But there's a great cinematic for when you die and you get an achievement for every death. And it just loads you immediately right before you die so you can make a different choice that does not lead to your death ultimately. But like the first one, I was like putting fuel into a canister like i had to put a fuel tank into a engine to get the whole station's turbines to start going again and i had to mix the fuel right but i didn't read the mixing instructions so i just made this explosive concoction and you can trade inventory across any distance because there there's like this thing that sci-fi where it's like a quantum entanglement thing where you can change your inventory between everybody which is cool because it spreads out the adventure part across the characters so like you may need to find something on charlie's section Uh to give back to mac for mac to do something to then give back to charlie so then charlie can proceed forward kind of thing okay but so charlie found some fuel I didn't really read the instructions on how to mix it. So I just filled it with this random concoction and had Mac put it into the turbine. He turned it on. And then there was a cutscene where it exploded with this green gas that just vaporized him. And it's great. Uh, I love it because it's like, like a digestible horror. It's not jump scary horror. And it's not it's not super scary because it's also isometric. You see everything from like a, a bird's eye view. So it's not like the thing that is happening is like right in front of you and jump scaring you. It's like a horror that I appreciate. So I really like it. Uh, Stasis Bone Totem. I recommend checking it out. You do not have to play the original Stasis. I believe the original Stasis, though, is going for $7.99. And I think it's about a 14-hour game, give or take. The DLC Kane is free. Beautiful Desolation is $12.99. And then Stasis Bone Totem is right now MSRPing at $19.99. 100% love it because Bone Totem's kind of like so far the like culmination of all the work that they've done so far. So I'm excited to uh see like how long the game is it's apparently goes underwater and i am nowhere near underwater so like yeah it's eventually going to be underwater where i'm like getting like bioshock vibes from it i'm thinking but right now i'm i'm on the top of an oil rig and i'm like an over an hour in so like i am excited to see where this will eventually go well that's cool sounds like a good time zach yes seth 
What have you been playing? Recently, I've been playing the letter V six times, which is stylized as V, 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 V. The letter V six times was developed by Terry Kavanaugh and released in 2010. I got my copy probably around like 2010 or 2011. I remember playing this on my like old, old laptop back in high school, uh, sometimes during class. Uh, But it's a game where you play as Captain Viridian, who is kind of a Viridian colored person who must find other members of your crew all the members have a letter v that starts their name i don't remember each character's name i just know captain viridian but you all get teleported away at the beginning of the game and you must track down your remaining crewmates to do this you must platform around by pressing up or down you cannot jump And the game is a kind of fast-paced puzzle platformer. Puzzle in the sense that you have to kind of figure out how to get from point A to point B without jumping and only pressing up and down. I love the game. I think the game is amazing. And I love the music. I remember I used to listen to the music of the letter V six times on this old MP3 player I had that ran on a AAA battery. And the MP3 player would last like five hours. And I would just listen to the letter V six times soundtrack all the time. I love that soundtrack and I love that game. It's a great game. Game. fun game to play and it's pretty easy to uh just pick up and play whenever you want nice yeah yeah i was playing it uh, recently as well and i feel like um it's a pretty good pick up and play type game yeah i think so too well today's episode is going to be a different sort of game um though kind of in line with uh some of the last games we've talked about i know we recently talked about earthbound which was a super nintendo rpg that changed things up a little bit and then before that we talked about animal crossing which was a n64 simulation game where you experienced life just in general but today we're talking about harvest moon which was a game that seth wanted to talk about when we talked about animal crossing and he confused the games so we actually yeah, talked I, about I animal confused. crossing yeah I, I i knew there was animals in both aren't there's animals in both of them yeah but in animal crossing the animals talk to you in harvest moon the animals probably shouldn't be talking to you because you're you're raising them if they talk to you in harvest moon things would get a little odd yeah things would get a little a little concerning seth what memories do you have of harvest moon i love harvest moon I think it's a great game. I really like the farming aspect of it. I used to play it all the time, and then Stardew Valley came out and kind of does Harvest Moon, I wouldn't say better, but more modern for me, I guess. It's different pace. Like, there are a lot of things that Harvest Moon does and Stardew Valley does that are similar. Um, They do it very similar, but then also Stardew Valley adds things that Harvest Moon doesn't have and adds those things in a nice way. And Harvest Moon, I would generally be playing it on SNES, and I think it's a great SNES game. And I think it was was eventually released on other systems. However, if you are traveling around and you have something that can do that can play snes games but it can't play modern pc games might i recommend if you need a stardew valley fix harvest moon (laughs) harvest moon has recently been put on the switch online snes service so if you have the switch online service and you download the snes emulator um it was just added so you could play it and yeah i mean my memories of playing harvest moon are uh seth used to have a cdr that had a few emulators on it including snes 9x and um nesticle and i remember playing harvest moon and i remember i think accidentally overriding a few of seth's save files when i was kind of discovering the uh what is it called? Safe state functionality of those games. So, but I like it. Yeah, I like the farming element. It's one of those games that you can just play for a few hours, lose track of time, and then like, just be like, oh, I'm, I'm done with this game now. And then 
come back to it another time uh which i think stardew valley fills that niche currently where you can you jump into stardew valley maybe after not playing it for a few weeks and then you can be trapped there for like five hours because the game is just so addicting in terms of just trying to get to the next state of like things you need to do the terms of the history of harvest moon harvest moon or bokujo monogatari also known as farm story in japan was developed for the super nintendo in 1996 the game's producer yasuhiro wada had previously worked on a side-scrolling action game called magical poppin wada having grown up in the countryside wanted to make a game that reminded him of his childhood and uh that kind of eventually led into what became harvest moon wada had grew up on the island of kyoshu the southernmost island in the japanese archipelago kyoshu's major industry is primarily farming specifically rice tea tobacco sweet potatoes and soy so as such wada was always surrounded by farming throughout his days growing up and he lived in a pretty quiet town and often talked about how he wanted to leave that town for the hustle and bustle of the big city so he attended a local university graduated and would move to tokyo where he got a job with a game development studio and when he was living in tokyo he came to kind of realize that tokyo and his hometown were very dramatically different the hustle and bustle of tokyo just was completely contrary to what Wada was used to living in a small farming community. So it didn't take long before he began to remember his home and kind of began to grow nostalgic for it. Wada described his time in Tokyo as not necessarily being homesick for home, and he didn't necessarily want to return home, but he found that the more time he spent in the city, the more he grew to appreciate the slower pace of the countryside when compared to the quicker pace of city life. Beyond his childhood being a source of inspiration, Wada was also a huge fan of the Derby Stallion series of games, which were a Japanese exclusive horse racing simulation uh, series. In Derby Stallion, you raise horses to race, and Wada thought that he could take this idea of raising animals and move it to a farm setting, and he could do this in a way that was seamless. Wada also felt that the combination of non-combative gameplay with farming meshed really well together, and he wanted to make a game that was non-combative. He thought that was kind of an interesting idea to have a video game where there weren't any enemies. Wada realized, however, the game that was unique wouldn't necessarily mean it would sell, which you could also learn watching Pawn Stars. <laughs> just, <laughs> just because something's old doesn't mean it's valuable. He felt the w best way to pitch the game was that it would be a challenge with minimal risk. He also knew that the in the vast game market, games really need to stand out amongst the crowds. For two years, Wada worked on raising his own funds by building a portfolio of various concepts. He also worked in localizing various projects to a Western audience. The game he had in mind, a farming RPG, was pitched to the executives and they provided him a modest budget and a team of 10 members. It was planned to be released through a Japanese publisher developer called Pack and Video, who previously published Magical Poppin, and had also been involved in the publishing scene since the mid-1980s. Wada's team worked to finalize the concept that they had by coming up with the basics of gameplay. In the earliest state, the game was focused on interaction between characters and the various in-game objects, farming, and raising cattle. Wada wanted players to be able to see a change made via their actions and not rely on things like stats or data. So like if you plant seeds, something grows. And the next day, 
it gets bigger. Instead of saying, your corn is done. His team, however, realized that they couldn't be too in-depth with these interactions as it could potentially make players less interested or frustrated, like if corn actually takes 10 months to grow. Wada's incorporation of farming in the game was based on his experience playing SimCity and its tile-based structure. He also thought that having a way for a character to clear out a vacant lot by breaking up rocks or digging up tree stumps would be cool. These ideas were all flushed out initially on just paper. Um, and after the were pretty much drafted out, they began work on the actual coding and impl implementation of the ideas that they had written out. They started slowly having the programmer work to place blocks and create the farming mechanic. In a post-mortem at GDC, the Game Developers Conference, Wada mentioned that the moment he saw the first sprout appear on the screen was when he realized the game would work. He also, during the GDC talk, which is where I got a lot of this information, was apparently like whoa <laughs> when he saw the sprout first come out and i hope he actually did that that's what he did at the conference when he was like re recollecting the time but i hope he actually was like looking at the monitor and went whoa fantasy elements were added into the plot of the game which wada was working on between development of the actual game itself and he did this to add potential appeal to children and also players who might not necessarily be into farming because not every Everyone is interested in farming. Some people are, but sometimes you need that thing to get you through the door before you become interested in farming. Wada would create the characters for the game, and he would also decide that he would want to add a marriage mechanic into the game, something that the players could work up to to give them more reason to talk to the other NPCs. After about six months of development, the team hit one of their biggest problems. They assembled the ROM of the game to test it out and were greeted by massive frame drops. Prior to assembling the ROM, they were kind of like piecemealing the game together so they would like work on the farming portion of the game separate from the animal raising portion of the game separate from the NPC interaction portion of the game and these all ran perfectly fine but when they combined them all into a final ROM suddenly the game was not running it would like be very very slow and sluggish and almost unplayable so they had to rethink things and they ended up doing was um, some creative trickery with programming and reworking of graphics and essentially trial and error until they could get it to run a way that they liked without any frame drops. Wada would go on to say that this was a problem that they would continuously run into creating the Harvest Moon games. So this wasn't like a one-time deal. Whenever they made Harvest Moon games that he was involved with, this was a problem they ran into, was just like, oh, now the game is very slow and we have to fix it. After another six months, something bigger affected the development of the game. Pack and Video went bankrupt and closed. At the time, Pack and Video was working on various other projects beyond Harvest Moon and were essentially stretching themselves a bit too thin. Wada in his GDC talk would say that at the time he wished he had kind of the foreknowledge to talk to the people over at Packin Video and being like, hey, maybe you guys should uh, not take on all these projects at the same time. And he says that at the time he kind of was thinking that that was the case and a potential problem with the company, but he was also a bit too anxious to just bring it up and be like, hey, you guys uh, 
aren't running your business right because he was just a he was just an employee essentially in any case packing video was closed and they shuttered and it, it was apparently so severe that according to wada the president of packing video uh went missing literally the remaining assets of the company would then be merged into victor entertainment and wada's team would have to downsize now without a budget the team was left without much of a plan while 80 percent of the assets existed uh the team they knew that only about 30 percent of the game was actually complete wada was about ready to give up but his two programmers satsuo miyakoshi and yamadi tomami convinced wada to continue they would bring sleeping bags into their offices and they would never leave working long hours and barely sleeping the entire game's code had to be reworked from scratch and various assets had to be entirely redone however after six more months game was done the game would also go on to be localized in north america with references to alcohol removed and changed to juice however even with juice you could still get drunk perhaps on sugar Maybe. Various Japanese elements would remain in the game, such as the references to Shinto terms in the town church. Yeah. If so, if you go to the town church in Harvest Moon, they'll refer to like the god of the harvest and like the god of industry and stuff like that. And those are like Shinto terminologies and in Shintoism. One of the beliefs is that everything has a spirit. Everything has a god associated to it. So those type of things kind of got left in. Also, Wada, Miyakoshi, and Yamate, they were the only people working on the game at that point because they had no budget they effectively had to fire um, the rest of the team. I mean, so it was 10 people and then it went down to three, which was included Wada. So they were literally so badly scrapped for cash that they they had to use up the remaining budget on, on just those six months alone, which is partially why they effectively lived in their offices because they would have to try to save money any way they could. Now, the gameplay of Harvest Moon is, is it's actually pretty straightforward. In the game, you play as a young adult who has inherited a farm from his grandfather. You must restore the farm and maintain it. It's really up to you to allocate your time between tasks such as clearing, planting, raising livestock, selling harvests, and building the relationships with the rest of the town. You could also forage uh, at any point in the game and attend festivals. And really, Harvest Moon is pretty open-ended in the sense that you can do these things on your own leisure. So if it, it's really up to how you want to play the game, which I think offers some definite replayability with it. But if you want to spend a whole day just clearing out your yard so that you can plant more stuff totally up to you if you want to spend all day going into town and talking to villagers totally up to you if you want to go all day foraging in the woods totally up to you however if you don't use your time correctly your character won't necessarily stay awake <laughs> that's like a thing is uh and that's the thing carried into other harvest moon games and stardew valley is your characters do have energy and you need to make sure you maintain that energy so they don't pass out now seth how did harvest moon do so the initial sales were only about twenty thousand units but once word spread the game would go on to sell a hundred thousand units in japan which is quite impressive considering that the n64 was out and this was released on the super nintendo there were other games that we also talked about that were released during this time period, and they did not fare so well with sales. Yeah, yeah, no. But the entire Harvest Moon series uh, has done very well in terms of sales in recent years. I couldn't find sale data for the North American release of the first game, but looking at sales on some of the other games, you can see a growing trend in the sales, you know, from, from those early numbers. But in Japan, it always 
did really well with um, more than 100,000 selling for the different games that came out. And yeah, I mean, Harvest Moon would establish a legacy, and that was more Harvest Moon games would come out. It was a massive franchise. To date, there are nine games released for console, 15 games released for handhelds, six spin-off titles, and an additional seven games published by Natsume. There was also an episodically released version of the game called BS Bokujo Monogatari that was released on the Satellaview, a satellite-based add-on for the Super Nintendo. This version of the game would be accompanied by a radio drama-style narration. I am so bummed we didn't get the Satellaview in the United States. It sounds awesome. There was like radio drama versions of Zelda you could listen to while you played the game, radio drama versions of Harvest Moon, you could do stocks, it was everything. There is a little bit of confusion in terms of the naming um, that I found. Um, I'm sure fans of the series don't find it confusing. I certainly found it confusing. But you'll notice from 2014 on, the mainline Harvest Moon game started to be called Story of Seasons, and then there was those seven additional games I referenced that were published by Natsume. Basically what happened was in 2014, the developer of Harvest Moon, which the current developer is a company called Marvelous, announced that they were going to create a subsidiary that would take over Western distribution of the series. However, Natsume still retained the rights to the name Harvest Moon. So Natsume would continue to develop games under the name Harvest Moon, and Marvelous would produce games now under the name Story of Seasons. So effectively, there are two line of games. There's Harvest Moon and Story of Seasons, um, which is confusing to to me but I guess it kind of makes sense um and it doesn't sound like there's any like bad blood between the companies but who knows I'm sure someone was grumpy about it it's also interesting to note that an unlicensed demake of the game called Mushang Wu Yu was released in China by the company Shenzhen Nanjing Technology Company I have a copy of this game it is interesting it plays like Harvest Moon but for the NES but all the maps are taken from Pokemon games it's all in Chinese so I can't really understand it for some reason when you boot the game there are pictures of dinosaurs Anyway, the, I think the more important thing to mention and the thing that the reason Seth wanted to talk about Harvest Moon is the fact that it would kind of pretty much establish the farming simulation genre and would inspire many, many more games of the same style. Most famously is Stardew Valley. Right. Yeah. Stardew Valley is great. Yeah. Do, do you want to talk about Stardew Valley at all, Seth? Nope. You literally said the reason you want to talk about Harvest Moon is so you could talk about Stardew Valley. Why well, I, I like Stardew Valley. It's a great game. It was done by um, Eric Barone, who is known as the Concerned Ape. And uh, it was a one-man development of a game that took off. It kind of very similar to um, almost like Notch making Minecraft. But Stardew Valley had a slower ramp. I feel like Minecraft was popular overnight where Stardew Valley was like a ramp up. And now Eric Brown is working on the Haunted Chocolatier. Eric Barone and Lucas Pope are two of my favorite developers who I constantly look up to see what they're doing and buy everything that they make. Now, that will do it for our Harvest Moon episode. If anyone has any memories of Harvest Moon or would like to uh, tell us all about it, feel free to email us. But we're going to get into our Retro Rewind segment. So, Seth had me play Second Samurai, the sequel to The First Samurai. In The Second Samurai, you play as a samurai and you kick 
but I'm honestly not sure what the plot was. It definitely started telling me the plot, but I definitely pressed start and skipped the storyline. So the first level was very confusing to me because I was a samurai, but I was in cavemen times and I was beating up cavemen and killing chimpanzees. And to kill the cavemen or the chimpanzees, you have to hit them with your sword or throw a knife or punch them. You actually start out with a punch and then you upgrade to a sword when you pick up a scroll and you collect daggers, which you can throw. What's funny though, is when you beat up the enemies, they explode like in a big fireball. So you like punch a chimpanzee and he flies across the screen and he just explodes into a fireball and it's hilarious. Uh, You can also pick up enemies and toss them into other enemies, which will cause them to explode. It is chaotic and I love it. I think it definitely holds up. It's unfortunate that the game was only released in Europe for the Mega Drive. I really wish it came out in the United States because this would be a game I would have probably really loved playing as a kid. I can see myself renting this game from like fun stuff video and just never wanting to return it. In any case, the second Samurai does hold up. If you can get a copy of it, be sure to play it. Uh, Next week, Seth, I want you to play Micro Machines for the NES. Great. Uh, Zach had me play Mega Man Soccer. Now, picture yourself back in 1994 and loving the latest Mega Man game released, Mega Man X. Probably one of the greatest games released for the SNES in the Mega Man series. But all of a sudden, Capcom says, guess what? We're releasing another Mega Man game. Mega Man X just came out back in 1993. It's 1994. And we're already getting another Mega Man game? Yes, you are. It's Mega Man Soccer. This game, once again, came out around the time when like, it wasn't popular to do a million like Mario every sport type of franchise. So it's just soccer, which is random. The game is interesting. It is a Mega Man soccer game, but the soccer part is not that great. Uh, the camera is very, very close to the Mega Man action, so you can't really strategize where you're kicking things. Also, when you pass to your teammates, they don't always get it. So you're kicking the ball pretty much somewhere, hoping that your teammate is out there, and then your teammate could just ignore it. It is also slow a little sluggish you're like walking across the uh field and the field just goes on for years it just goes on and on and on forever when you finally get to the goal by the, so this is what happened this is my experience with Mega Man soccer uh i brought the soccer ball to the goal and that took me forever to do and then they took the ball for me and kicked it far away and then they did it's that so over sad. and over again it's so sad and it was horrible so there are better soccer games out there there are also better Mega Man games out there if you really want to play a Mega Man soccer game i guess this one will work i don't think it really holds up next week zach you can play Lester the Unlikely Uh, for the SNES. I'm not looking forward to this. Okay, I'll play it. Well, with that, if you would like to reach out to the Classic Gaming Brothers, you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com. We're also available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook and Instagram are Classic Gaming Brothers. Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. We can be found on all the major podcasting applications out there, such as iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc., etc. And our website is classicgamingbrothers.com. Seth, do you have anything you want to add? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's... That's right.